Do you have a question about your home? Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single-family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. I pulled up some carpet in my basement and there was linoleum put down. How can I get that up? Uh, there are products that will release the adhesive. You're probably going to have to take a floor scraper and it'll work a little quicker for you, but you're still going to take a lot of elbow grease. I wish I could tell you there was a real simple solution of just put something down and scrape it up with a shovel or something, but there's not that I know of. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken with questions about your home inside or out at 800-614-2975, or you can... Email questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. During the last several months, we've had numerous emails and phone calls regarding mold in our homes, whether it's our basement, a crawl space, our attic, inside our air conditioning ductwork, or even the rooms we live in every day. Mold has been a common theme. And what we need to understand is it's not only prevalent during these cooler months, but we fight mold and mildew throughout the warmer summer months as well. And we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about mold, what creates it, how can we prevent it, indeed can we prevent it from being in and around our homes and certainly being in the atmosphere where we're breathing these mold spores on a constant basis. Now, some important things to understand about mold. Number one, mold requires moisture. I want you to keep these three things in mind. It requires moisture. It requires temperature, and generally that is warmth, a warm temperature, and it requires a food source. All three of these are necessary for mold to develop and for mold to become quite prolific in and around our homes. Now, mold is most likely to find places to grow in areas, as you might surmise, that tend to be damp. Our bathrooms, our kitchens, about our basement areas because of the higher humidity, and yes, in the winter months, even in our attic spaces, not as common in the summer, but clearly in the winter months. Climate we live in also has a lot to do with how rapid mold develops and the places that we're apt to see it. There's some of you living in the more extreme parts of the north that in very cold climates trying to maintain certain warmth inside the home that in the winter months you're going to see it become much more common. And yet those of you living in the deep south are going to find that it may be much more common in the summer months when you turn that air conditioning down to make it very comfortable on the inside, yet you have higher level of moisture in the air, the high humidity that you have along the Gulf Coast, Atlantic Coast, Pacific Coast, and so forth. So these are things that we need to think about in terms of where we live and how we live and what, if anything, we can do to control this. And that's where we want to go next. First, I want you to understand where some of the places are that mold can become so common in our home. And a few of these you're going to say, I just didn't know that. Is this possible? How about your carpet? Have you ever found mold in carpet in corners that you're saying, I can't believe it's here? But sure enough, it is. Even in dry in upholstery, in clothing that may be in boxes, in closets, in tucked away spaces. Certainly, when we look at items like paper, all of us have seen paper with mold on it, cardboard, the drywall in our homes, even plaster. How about inside ductwork, inside air conditioning systems? And one area that's extremely common, especially in bathrooms, behind wall covering. So all of these are places we have in our homes that we have to cope with on a regular basis. Once mold develops, it can move more quickly throughout 
the entire home based on the type of atmosphere that you maintain in each room. So again, keep in mind moisture, warmth, and food source. If you have all three of those, you have the makings of mold. Now, you ask yourself, is mold common throughout my house? Mold is everywhere, folks. I don't care whether you live in the extreme north or in the deep south. These mold spores are too small for you to see. They are prolific. They are air-driven, and you will find them in all kinds of places. What you don't want to do is give them a food source. So you say, well, how do I know? Maybe I have an allergy to mold. I don't see it. Is it present? Well, you can have your house tested for it, but I will tell you it's quite pricey to be testing that. You have to hire a professional technician, and they will need special tools and also may need to send samples to a laboratory. Now, that we understand a little bit about mold and what causes it and the areas that it's likely to occur in, let's deal with the issues that you can control. And it's just that. Can you prevent mold? I told you earlier that we can all do our part to reduce it. Can you absolutely prevent it? Perhaps not in every space of your house, but there are things that you can be on guard for that certainly will help reduce its ability to become prolific and to be in places you don't want it. The most important steps, I think, for all of us in controlling mold are to be absolutely certain that once we see see it once we identify it that we clean that existing mold and we eliminate it from the area that it's in and then we immediately take aggressive measures to look at the moisture because temperature is not one of the things that we can always regulate but we certainly can moisture and you're saying I can't do that in a crawl space I can't do that in a basement how in the world am I going to do it in my attic I know I can turn the fan on in the bathroom well you can do similar things in all areas so if you've got a crawl space that has a great deal of mold in it you're saying "Eh, it's a crawl space I'm not too worried about it those mold spores are apt to be brought up into the house They certainly are going to attach themselves and attack the wood in that lower structure. You don't want to have a crawl space full of mold. You want to be sure that it's properly ventilated. And under newer home construction within the last 20 years or so, building codes have mandated foundation vents for numerous reasons. But this has to do with part of it, and that is to reduce the amount of moisture that we have in that crawl space and to help eliminate mold from developing. In your attic, proper ventilation, both soffit vents to bring air in and then vents at the ridge or power vents along the roof line or in the gable ends to suck air through those ridge vents or through the soffit vents rather and exhaust them out through the ridge cap or the gable vents that will help control the moisture in that attic space. Talk about this in your basement. A dehumidifier pulls moisture out of the air and it puts it into a drain. The best thing we can do to eliminate mold in our basement is air movement. Keep that air moving so it cannot create condensation. It doesn't have a place for mold to develop. And for those of you that have issues within your home on windows, on plaster walls, in corners, in closets, you constantly hear me talking to you about air movement. That's the key. You need to keep air circulating in there. If you keep the walls dry, if you keep the moisture from generating to the point that it allows the condensation to form and it provides what mold needs to grow, if you can eliminate that, you just don't have the mold problem. We have other areas, certainly our bathrooms, our kitchens. We have places in our homes we can control with some of the fans I've talked about recently, some of the people I've had on in interviews that deal with fans controlled by humidistats. They come on with, they sense a certain level of humidity, and then they shut off that humidity. Humidity level drops back. Again, kitchens, bathrooms especially are areas we need to be paying attention to. If you have any of these situations in your home, you can do something about it. Don't live with it. Don't allow it to take over your house. Once you have mold in all parts of your house, invading your ductwork, and even in closets and other places you don't frequently look, folks, you have a huge potential for a health problem, and you have a major issue in trying to resolve that. Other areas that are prime sources for mold to develop are roof leaks. I'm always talking to you about resolving a problem, even though it seems minor. You're saying, 
you know, I get a couple of drops occasionally that I see in heavy rains. I'm not really worried about it. I'll deal with it someday. When you have leaks through your walls, around windows, around wall vents, around your doors, around penetrations through that roof or bad shingles, what's going to happen is you have moisture getting in that can be rotting your structure, causing bigger problems, but also creating mold and mildew. Again, these can be difficult for you to deal with from a health standpoint. So I want you to be aware that mold is everywhere. It's in all seasons. It's in different parts of the country, more common in different times of the year. But we can control it. We can eliminate it. We need to pay attention to moisture, to the food source. We need to do all we can to keep our home environments as healthy as possible. With that said, one last item you can take into consideration that may help you if you happen to have an allergy to mold, and that is consider changing to a different type of AC filter in your home, keep the doors and windows closed as much as possible, or even look at some of the very sophisticated heating and cooling systems that are available to you in the market today. There is absolutely no reason for you to suffer with mold issues inside your home. Very good. And Ken is standing by to take your calls, questions, Questions and comments next. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Phone lines are open. Do you have a question for Ken? It's 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com. Let's go to the phones and let's head to Topeka, Kansas. That's where Pat is. Pat joins us right now. Pat, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Uh, I've got a question, and I appreciate your follow-up on that. What it is, is that I've got a rental house. Uh, It's a fairly nice house. It is currently vacant. And what it is, is that when I run water in any of the sinks, kitchen sink, bathtub, or uh, the uh, bathroom sink, I get in a a bench that comes out of there that's really pretty strong. Water flows fine out of the uh, uh, sink and the bathtub. Uh, It's not blocked up or backing up, but it's just a a stench that comes out of that. And what I was looking for is what would you suggest to maybe pour down there to maybe compensate for that? I thought about maybe Clorox or something of that nature, and I, I didn't know if there was something else that was better to use than that. Well, certainly a a Clorox or a bleach of some type is never going to hurt because it's going to kill bacteria, and bacteria tends to be the cause of most odors that we deal with. But I do want to ask a couple of questions first. It sounds like this is only occurring in a bathroom when you talk about the sink and the tub. Any area that you uh, that when you turn water on, it has a once it uh, goes down, the water goes down. That the odor comes up after that. And in each of these rooms where you're picking up this odor, have you checked to be sure there are no drains that have dried out, for example, floor drains or discharge drains for a washing machine or perhaps an open hub drain even for a dishwasher? I have checked those, and like I said, the house has been vacant for probably a little over a month. And, uh, of course, obviously there's been no water running in the floor drain for the washing machine. It doesn't seem to be backed up. It runs most of the drains run fairly well. It's just that that odor comes back up when you pour water in whatever opening you have. And to you, if you have smelled this before, you'll know what I'm talking about. Does it smell like a typical sewer gas odor? Yes. That's the reason I'm asking you first to check the obvious. That is to be sure that every tub, every lavatory, the commodes, every sink, every open drain, all of those have water in the traps because I'm sure as a property owner, you know the purpose of the trap with the water in it. It keeps sewer gas from backing up in the home. So that's the obvious for you and for everybody else. 
Now, if you've gone through that and then you're satisfied that there's no break anywhere in a waste line, a vent line, a vent stack where sewer gas can be coming back into the house, this would be exaggerated typically by water flowing through a line because it's creating some pressure. And if a vent line has broken loose, let's say in the attic space, if a plumber at some point forgot to glue that line, they just put it together in the coupling and it has separated. I've seen that happen. And then sewer gas will back up still in the house. So there are some things that are going to be easy for you to do and some things a little more cumbersome, but these are some things you need to explore. Now, the other area that I find, especially when I've gone into properties that have been closed up for some period of time, that creates an odor. And this may not be what you're dealing with, but it's something for you to check and consider that bacteria develops and odor will come from the rubber gaskets around the faucets in our sinks from the stoppers that are there. And even where the plumbing underneath the sink, usually there's a rubber gasket that seals the plumbing connection in many sinks and lavatories to the bowl itself. Even around that rubber gasket, we will find that some amount of odor is being created. How strong is this odor? Is it just noticeable or is it really objectionable in any given room? It's noticeable. You know, it's not just the type of odor that you'd pass out from. But I think you may have hit the nail on the head, and that is the fact that this happened the last time the house was vacant. And I'm thinking that that water in the P-trap may dry out. And that may be the one that's, you know, preventing the gas from coming back up. Once the house has been occupied again, they do not mention anything about the odor at that point of time. And that clearly is the purpose of the trap. Again, you recognize that. Many of our listeners may not. But be certain that you have water in there and also then take some time to clean just the stoppers. In your sink, for example, you'll have a strainer. Throw them in the dishwasher if you have a dishwasher and put your normal detergent in there and wash those. And then you talked about using Clorox or other detergents. If you can reach those rubber gaskets where the sink, the bottom of the bowl, connects to the plumbing line and clean those, you're going to eliminate the bacteria. But you may have recognized a solution on your own when you say that as someone else moves in and there's steady use, you don't have an issue out of your tenant. That is correct. So I think you're on the right track. I'd take those steps, and if you want to eliminate that to make it a little more desirable, perhaps to lease, to reoccupy, you might take these added steps and help eliminate that odor. A water and bleach solution will never hurt. I am opposed to using very strong chemicals in any plumbing lines we have. Uh, they can have some negative impact on the sinks, on the fittings, downstream, even in municipal treatment facilities as well as septic systems. I think we, uh, you've come up with a solution there with the water that's in there is, is possibly when it dries out, it's allowing that gas smell to come back up. And as I indicated, after regular use, then that seems to fade away. So, Well, I can guarantee you that will happen because that is the sole purpose of the trap and it must have water in it. And what we often overlook are floor drains that we may not use on a regular basis. Perhaps there is a drain just to receive the condensate from your air handler that may be tucked away in a closet somewhere. Always look for every floor drain, every opening you have in a plumbing line, and be sure that it has water in the trap. Sounds good, Ken. I appreciate your assistance, sir. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your call. All right. Thank you. Pat, thank you. We do appreciate the call. Don't forget, if you don't want to give us a call, you can forward us an email to Ken's website, kenthecontractor.com. we got one out of Philly. Yeah, we do. Juanita comes to us from Philadelphia. says we have a 40-year-old vacation home that we plan on remodeling in the next within the next five years. said, in the meantime, 
Our old electric range is in need of a new door gasket and an element for the cooktop. Said I'm having trouble finding these given the age of the appliance. We don't want to replace it at this point. As I pointed out, we're going to remodel. Any ideas on where to find these parts? And I'm happy with used. Well, that's a good source. You may find that there are a lot of second-hand stores out there that you can find the pieces you need, even stores that buy old appliances. And the fact that you're telling me used is great. You just want to get by, it sounds like, until you remodel this place, Juanita, for maybe another three, four, five years, and then put all new in at that point. So you may start at some of the used appliance stores in your region, in and around the Philly area. You may find some that are not functional at all, but they're just selling them for parts, much like uh, auto body graveyards do. As I say, you can go in and buy a fender or a hood. So I'd look for that first, but be sure you jot down the serial number or the model number, rather, and the brand of the range that you have. Also, you can go online to a company. I've got posted to my website, so you can just go to KenTheContractor.com, which I'm sure you know since you've emailed if you don't remember this, but it's EveryAppliancePart.com. And this is a company that specializes in inventorying old and outdated parts, and you may find them brand new sitting right there, but again, you're going to need the model number. So start by the used stores in your backyard, and from there, go to EveryAppliancePart.com and see if they can help you out. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken now through our contact number, which is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email questions to the website, which is KenTheContractor.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out all the valuable home improvement information we've got available to you online. You can also friend us on Facebook, at KenTheContractor, and follow us on Twitter, at KenAnswers. But again, if you do have a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800 800- 800-614-2975. That's a contact number, 800-614-2975, or through the website, KenTheContractor.com. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson and Ken the Contractor. Ken's here each weekend at this time answering the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And don't forget, you can email your questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Time now for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and, of course, save you money. Joining me now is Bill Grande. Bill is the Director of Product Management for the Residential Division, Leviton. Thanks for having me. Glad you could be with us today. We're going to talk about three very unique items. We want to be sure that all of our listeners know what's going on with Leviton. Just take us through at least the first one I want to discuss here, and that has to do with the AFCI receptacle. Now, tell us first what an AFCI receptacle is. An AFCI receptacle, AFCI stands for Arc Fault Circuit Interrupter. And what an Arc Fault Circuit Interrupter does is protect against electrical fires. It has a sensing mechanism that will detect certain types of arcing and will trip a circuit and prevent an electrical fire. This is something many of you will find in your building code. It's part of the, the electrical code nationwide, and it applies to bedrooms in almost every jurisdiction, as I understand. What I think we will find from talking to code officials in the last number of months that we may see these applied to every room in our home over time. But this really does everything you could possibly do to eliminate a fire from an electrical short. 
Well, it certainly does a lot to mitigate those fires from electrical arcing. And, yes, the code is expanding to include different locations. In 2014, we expect that it will also require arc fault circuit interrupter protection for replacement receptacles. So this is something you need to be aware of. You'll find these throughout your normal distribution network. Bill will talk about that in just a moment. For those of you that are do-it-yourselfers and you take care of these type items, this is something you clearly need to know about. It's not just for your electricians, and that is the AFCI receptacle. Now, another item that I know has gone over so well because we're all into high-tech gadgets, that has to do with the USB receptacle. I want you to tell us about that. It's almost amazing. The response that we've been getting from this product has been tremendous. What it does, it eliminates the clutter of having that transformer plugged into the USB adapter to charge your laptop, your cell phones, iPads, those types of devices. It's built right into the receptacle, so you could install it in a kitchen counter. You could install it next to your nightstand, anywhere where you might typically charge those devices, and now you don't have all that clutter associated with the transformer. It makes it very easy to have these planted throughout your home, not just the office in your home, maybe even in your office at work, so that you're not having to carry these chargers with you as you move from place to place. A standard USB cord is all that's needed? That's all you need. And you've got a clean look. You don't have a pocket or a purse full of added chargers when you move from place to place because the USB tends to be more universal on many of our handheld devices than the electrical chargers do. That's exactly right. So I can see a huge plus in that, and I can see that being well-received, not only across the nation, but around the world. That's what we're seeing here. All right, now, you've got another item. This is a little show and tell. I wish you could all see this. I've got a desktop filled with several things here. One of the things that all of us are interested in, and that includes Bill, that includes me as we sit here today, and that's how do we live in our home and we spend less money for our day-to-day operating costs. And we know electricity is among the biggest things that we have to cope with every single month. Leviton, again, on cutting edge, is bringing some things into the home that maybe I know as a commercial builder also, we have seen a little bit of this in the commercial world, but tell us about this next gadget that I'm seeing here on the desktop. So what we're calling this is a universal occupancy sensor. You're right, talking about energy savings. It's on top of everyone's mind. And we're also talking about different lamps and different lighting in the home. Uh, We know that incandescent is gradually going away, and we have now new lamp sources, new light sources, including compact fluorescent, and what we see in the future for LEDs. So the trick is to have a device that will make sure that you can control those and control them seamlessly. Uh, You combine that with an occupancy sensor that will turn on the light when you use them. So if you have even children in the house or certain locations in the house where you just want to enter, you want the lights to go on automatically and then shut off automatically, it's the ideal solution. Now, are these set on timers for folks would ask me this type of question or are they simply sensing movement or activity or individuals within the room? So while we do have timers, the product that we're showing today, the new product for the universal lighting control, is the occupancy sensor that detects movement. All right, we are talking to Bill Grandi with Leviton, and Bill, you alluded to an item a moment ago, I think, that Jay Sherman and I talked about last year, and that was this universal dimmer, and I want to go back to that because I understand that has also been well-received, and there may be many of our listeners not up to speed on this universal dimmer. Sure, so I'll give you a quick update. And we mentioned just a minute ago the transition of lamps and lighting sources from incandescent. 
And what the universal dimmer does is kind of future-proof. Even if you're not using CFLs or LEDs today, you probably will at some time in the future. So if you are installing a dimmer, it makes sense to install a dimmer that will work with those products that's designed to maximize performance of those products, get the broadest dimming range, make sure there's no flickering or fluttering, and it's a seamless operation. So that's where the universal dimmers come into play. And again, the universal dimmer is designed to work with what lamps? What bulbs, as most people would know them? Specifically, what we refer to for the universal dimming is going to be your standard incandescent that you're probably the most familiar with, compact fluorescent or CFLs, dimmable CFLs, and, of course, LEDs or lighting-emitting diodes. Each of these devices will help us in terms of how we live in our home. They're going to help us save energy. They're going to help us get through some of the transitions that we're talking about with the old incandescent light going out and the just the numerous types of lamps, lights that are available for us to put in our fixtures today. Leviton continues to stay out front to set the pace worldwide. They have for so many years with all of these devices that, frankly, I think many of us don't think much about because they're in the home and they just work, but we want to make our listeners aware of them, aware of the brand and what they do and what they need to be telling their builder and their architects and designers. That's right, and it's true. Our devices are kind of just sitting in the wall, and we expect them to work, and that's the job that Leviton takes very seriously, to make sure that it is seamless, and when you go and hit that switch, that it works, and it works correctly. And to me, that's a great compliment when things just work as they're designed. Leviton has been there for such a long period of time. I have installed thousands of your products. I can speak firsthand for them. They have done everything they're supposed to, and I'm constantly impressed with the greater technology that you continue to bring to things that we once thought were just so simple. Again, we've been talking to Bill Grandi with Leviton. Bill, we thank you so much for being with us today and for doing a little show and tell and talking to us about the AFCI and about the USB receptacle as well as the motion sensor. Ken, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Take care. That's this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and, of course, save you money. And if you want more information, uh, the website uh, that Ken was alluding to is Leviton.com. That's L-E-V-I-T-O-N. Dot com And one of the things you'll find at the Leviton website is they talk about an industry-first, UL-listed electric vehicle charging station. It's known as the Evergreen 400. And surprisingly, it allows you to charge some vehicles very quickly. Here's just a quick rundown of some of the ones that they have on their website. Chevy Volt can be charged in four hours. The Ford Focus Electra, electric in three hours. The Ford C-Max Energy, two hours. A Honda Accord plug-in, just an hour. A Nissan Leaf, seven hours. And a Toyota Prius plug-in, 1.5 hours. That's the time they estimate that you can fully charge your vehicle with this system from Leviton. And it's the industry-first UL-listed electric vehicle charging station, the Evergreen 400 charging station. You can find out more at the Leviton website. We'll take a break. We'll continue with more coming up. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken's here answering questions that are important about your home inside or out. You can reach us at 800-614-2975. Time for us to go back to the telephones right now. And we say hi to Jan. Hi, Jan. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. And I had a question uh, regarding dampness in my home, basically on my second floor. Uh, in the front of the home, uh, the home is like a permastone. It's a, about a 100-year-old home, and it's connected on either side by another home. Well, a couple of years ago, water started seeping into the 
ceiling and wall of the corner of the bedroom that is in the front. And um, I had a roofer come out, and basically he sealed the outside, and lo and behold, it sealed seeped through again. Now, when you look at the house from the outside, you can actually see like a wet spot there where it comes in. So I don't know. Um, there are gutters, I guess, in the next story because it's a three-story home. So I don't know if that's why the water collects there. It's just almost like a sponge or something. Like uh, it's a flat facade. So I don't know how in the heck the water just gets there. But unfortunately, I had somebody fix the whole inside wall, which was a beautiful job, and now it's all bubbled up again. So uh, I don't know if maybe the sealant that was done was not done properly. Any suggestions would be very helpful. From what you describe, I'm not sure the problem is really water coming through the stone on the exterior of the house. This is somewhat unusual. You're telling me you have a three-story home, but yet you have water that's visible from the exterior at a level of the ceiling of the second floor. Now, this tells me the problem is likely to be higher up, meaning from a window or a wall penetration, a vent, perhaps even the main roof with water getting inside the wall cavity, something along those lines on that upper floor and the water is flowing down through a wall stud, a base plate, some cavity that's in there, and it's showing up at this location. It's very uncommon that you're going to see a water spot on an exterior wall, whether it's stone, whether it's a plaster, whether it happens to be brick, block, it really doesn't matter. It's unlikely that you're going to see it in one spot, two floors above the ground, and one floor below the main roof, especially when all the other areas around it are dry, unless you have a water source coming from someplace other than right there. And I think that's what you need to go back and look for. You or your roofer or a contractor, someone else needs to make an inspection looking for any detailed openings, meaning you could have cracks and mortar joint above this level on the third floor. Again, you could have openings where water's coming in around windows, could come in around pipe penetrations, as I said a moment ago. It could even be that you have an internal plumbing leak and water's running down along this plate and showing up at this point. Again, very, very unusual to see just a wet spot on the outside, water showing up on the walls and ceiling inside, and everything else around it dry. So that's really the direction I'd like you to go in. There's no guarantee that this will solve the problem, but I'm not sure you're looking in the right location. And that's part of what we do on this show is hopefully at least offer some alternatives and some suggestions that may help you get to the bottom of the problem. Thank you, and you have a great show. Thank you. Jim, thanks for your call. Don't forget, if you've got a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. Time now for our handy website of the week. Do you know that not all fire extinguishers are the same? I'm going to send you to a website that's going to help you figure out what you need because we have multiple locations around our house that if we have a fire, the first line of defense may well be you and a fire extinguisher. And if it's the wrong type, based on the fire that you may have in a given area, you're going to end up creating more problems than you're going to solve. And so today we want to look at our website of the week, which is KIDA, K-I-D-D-E, and it's KIDA.com, and you'll find this posted under links on KenTheContractor.com, so you don't have to write all this down because you know KenTheContractor.com. But let's talk just quickly about fire extinguishers. There are multiple types for different uses. Grease fires are different than paper fires and electrical fires. And if you have an improper fire extinguisher, as I said, if you happen to have one of the old-style 
that has compressed water and a few other chemicals thrown into it, you definitely don't want to be using that on a grease or electrical fire, folks. So if you happen to have a shop, a separate garage, where you may be able to do certain mechanical items, whether you're working on your car or whether you have a shop and you're dealing with woodwork, these still require different types of extinguishers. We want you to be safe with that. So today's website, as I said, is KIDDE.com. That'll tell you everything you need to know about the different types of extinguishers and the different uses around your home, your garage, even your outdoor areas. But whatever you do, be sure that you have fire extinguishers in and around your home. Folks, I've had to use one in my home many years ago, and I'll tell you, when that instant occurs, that needs to crop up in your mind because something that's very minor, you can solve right now. Otherwise, you may find a lot of devastation in and around your home or perhaps your home burnt to the ground. So be safe. The other thing is knowing how to use them. And this website's going to teach you how to use them. There's some videos on there as well. And I recommend it for you and the youngsters in the household, if they're not familiar with it, that they're all trained. The other thing we tend to overlook is we let our fire extinguishers expire. They have to be recharged periodically. And for a lot of you with old canisters, they're no longer rechargeable. And you'll find all this information on KIDDE.com. Very good. All right, let's go back to another email from our website, KenTheContractor.com. And Stuart sends this email to us from Bismarck, North Dakota. And, Stuart, we want to welcome you. We know we have a new affiliate, and we're pleased that you're tuning in and listening to us there. And uh, you write this. You're dealing with the colder winter. He said, I live in a rental house that's quite old. said, so you're telling me that you're a tenant. So I enjoy the neighborhood, and the house is really in good shape. Unfortunately, the house is so old it has only single-pane windows, and it does not feel like it has a lot of insulation. My heating cost is very high. said, here's my question. Am I responsible for any upgrades if I want to make the house more energy efficient, and how can I cut my monthly cost? Well, you have two questions there, Stuart, and they're both really valid. It's rare that I get a question where somebody identifies that they're actually renting property, and I'm glad you've done that because so many of our listeners are in that situation, whether you're in an apartment or a condo or whether you're in a freestanding home, as you indicate you are here. The first thing I want to do is ask you to go back and look at your lease agreement. And most lease agreements will say something about maintenance to the home. Now, maintenance is different than upgrades. Some may address upgrades. So that's the first thing you need to do is go back to the lease with your landlord and see if they have any duty or responsibility to be dealing with upgrades to make this more energy efficient. Now, I will tell you, I am a property owner, and so many of our listeners are as well, of rental properties, and I would assure you that... If a tenant came to me and said, I have this particular problem or issue, and I'm not living there, I'm not aware of it, if I could make it more energy efficient and keep my tenant there and constantly keep the place leased, I'm going to be listening and talking. Now, does that mean that they're going to jump immediately and do everything you suggest? Probably not. But the point is, you should have their attention saying the house is not quite as marketable as some others or competitors because of these issues, and that should raise some awareness for the landlord. So if the lease doesn't specify, I would be talking to the landlord saying, hey, here's my issue here. Now, if they're saying, I'm not in a position to afford to do anything right now, then you may talk to them about saying, look, how about if I put some storm windows in or if I add a little insulation to the attic space, can I work that out over the term of my lease so that instead of X per month, now I'm paying Y? And a lot of people would find that very attractive, that you're improving their property which is a real value for them when you leave. And at the same time, they're not having to take that large sum of cash out of pocket right now. So if you're in a position to do that, that may help you with your operating cost each month. It may improve your landlord's property, and it may save you some money month to month on your rent, which in turn 
would help reimburse you for the money that you have invested in this property. So those are the two things I think you should be doing. I'm glad you're paying attention to energy. That tells me when you get a place of your own, whether you're buying existing or you're building new, that you're really going to be on the cutting edge of looking at the technology that's available and saving dollars and cents. Now is also a good time for you to be researching that because at some point, you're probably going to be in your own property. Very good. And you've been listening to Ken the Contractor, where folks come for professional answers. If you have a question about your home, inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or online at KenTheContractor.com. And you've been listening to Ken the Contractor. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.